Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will be called blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has emptied his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Uh, welcome. We'll uh, dismiss our school-age kids to the back. And as they're doing that, I'll invite you, if you brought a Bible, and I hope you did, uh, to turn to that passage in Luke chapter 1. That we're going to be focusing on today. <clears throat> we are, uh, as... Uh, uh, Jason and Jamie both talked about we're coming up on our Christmas missions offering. Um, I was talking to a friend about this last week and he kept uh, another pastor um, and he's incorporated it into his church um, calling it the Christmas on mission offering and I like that too. Um, what we're trying to do here is uh, it's really not an initiative. It's not a campaign. My prayer is that it's the heart of God's people um, to turn outward at Christmas time. If we're not careful, we will hijack even the themes and ideas of Christmas um, and make it about us. And, and I love this time of year, and I love all the things that come with it. But, you know, we, we get real excited about making Christmas lists for ourselves. And, and a lot of us, if we're not careful, give very little thought to the gift to the actual birthday boy. Um, and so, you know, I, I want us to... Come with that framework, and we are encouraging you and imploring you, uh, just shy of maybe begging you, to give sacrificially to the Christmas mission offering. And with that, we promise we're going to take those funds and invest it into several people, um, families and church planters and missionaries who are depending on that um, for <clears throat> the ministry that they are uh, carrying out. We've talked about adoption. I've loved that. Uh, you know, Christians were the first ones um, that started adopting. Before Jesus, um, there was no such thing as adoption. You could, you could take uh, people into your home, but it was mostly as servants and slaves. It wasn't until Jesus and even the early church that the practice of real adoption in the Roman culture, they would just leave kids out to die from exposure. They would put them on a trash heap. And the Christians made it their... <laughs> made it the call in their lives that they would go and rescue these kids. Often uh, they were injured or deformed, and they would bring them in uh, to a family, and they would raise them. And it became such a unique practice in the early church that the emperors began questioning why in the world the Christians would do this. It was, it was an incredible thing. And we've continued that journey, I, I pray. And we're, we're still wanting to help out those uh, 
on mission. Just a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't here last week. I was in Dallas serving some of our church planters. And I wanted to, you to meet. We're not focusing on church planters today, but my heart is for them. And I just want to introduce you to a, a few of them that are going to be uh, benefits of um, this year's offering. Um, Ozzy, he's the, he's the first guy. You got him? Yeah, there he is. Uh, I know you probably can't see this very well. His name's Ozzy. He came from uh, Brazil, moved here as a missionary. He lives in Austin. He's, he came with literally nothing uh, but, but just, you know, what he had in his suitcases. Uh, you see him and his wife there. Go to the next picture. This is, that was week one, and uh, this is week four. So you can see they've already, they are, they've already 10 people have already come to Christ. Um, it's the, the, he's doing the ministry in Portuguese, which is uh, just phenomenal in Austin. He's working with a, um, uh, a lot of people there. Uh, I, so I, I want you to meet him, and he's asking for help and prayer, and we've already been able to help him some as a church. Uh, the next picture uh, on there is a guy named Shane uh, Booker, and you've heard him before. Uh, he's, he's coming uh, out of uh, Stephen Partain's church. You know, three or four years ago, we were able to plant a church, Stephen uh, Partain, Stephen and Morgan went down there to plant uh, Grace in the Bywater, and now uh, Shane has moved there, um, which just is an incredible story of faith. He did this amazing job as a youth pastor in Pensacola's, uh, sorry, in Panama City, Florida. He moved to the Lower Ninth Ward, and you've heard of the Lower Ninth Ward. It's one of the poorest communities in all of America, and he first, he gave up what he had, and he moved to the poorest community in America, maybe the second poorest community in America, and he just wants to serve them. And so I was talking to him about it and trying to coach him on fundraising and finances, and he's living right now, and uh, maybe he won't see this, I don't want to out, he's living on $1,700 a month. And uh, we, we were all gathered together, uh, a bunch of us church planters, and we were asking what they wanted for Christmas, and he just wants a home in the Lower Ninth Ward, which you can buy for like $20,000. Um, and I just thought, man, it would be stupid for our church not to help him do that. Um, so part of our offering would certainly go to him. This is such a cool story and such a cool picture of faith. But uh, I wanted those names and those faces to be familiar to you. A lot of times when it comes to giving, um, you know, you just don't even know who's going to be the recipient of this. And that's, and that's even okay because God can take that and multiply it and put it where it needs but sometimes it does my heart better knowing that what I'm sacrificing for, um, what I'm going without for so that others can have, I actually know who they are and what's going on. So we're going to take up that offering next week um, as, our, as uh, you, our celebration offering. Of course, you can give today. You've got the envelopes there. You can give online. We'll take really that offering up to the end of the year. And hopefully we'll announce if we met our goal or not, uh, Christmas Eve service or the, the next Sunday we meet. Our focus today is love, and uh, we're going to jump into it, but I, before, I, before I start preaching, would you pray with me, and would you ask God to prepare your heart to hear his word? God, we thank you for this opportunity where we can jump into your word, and we can hear your truth, and it says of itself, it's like a mirror that reflects back the real condition of our hearts and exposes our desperate need for a Savior. And I pray that we see your truth in it. I pray that we're encouraged and maybe convicted. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This year, um, during our Advent season, we are going through the traditional themes of Advent, and we've talked about hope and peace, and today uh, we're talking about love. And next week, we'll talk about uh, joy. And I was thinking about love, and I mean, it's impossible to select a text in, in the greatest love story that has ever been written, which is what the Bible is. It is just this incredible love story, starting way back in Genesis with our origin story, where we came from. And woven through every book and every chapter. And you just think about just the great love of God. And I was thinking about our love stories and, and how we love to tell them. It was amazing to see Chuck even talking about uh, what God does in a person's heart. And I've seen this in a lot of our people when, when they start this adoption process. Before they even actually even meet the child, talk to them about it. There's like God has already bonded them with this, with this little one. In this incredible, I, I don't know how it works, but, you know, I've, I've just got to go over there and get my child. It's just incredible love. You can talk to even the, the grumpiest people and ask them to tell, tell, tell you their love story or how they got engaged or how they met their, uh, their spouse. And even the grumpiest will begin to light up a little bit and tell about their love stories. How they went all out to express their love for each other. I told some of you this already, but a few months ago I found uh, Ashley's journal from when we were dating. And, um, you know, I thought nothing was off limits. I mean, we are one flesh at this point, so we can just, and then, you know, so then I go in there to read her an, expert, an excerpt of it. And she was like, are you reading, are you reading my journal? It was amazing as I read through that thing, and I didn't read it all, just, just a little bit, of just our early days. And, you know, it was mostly filled with notes about how amazing I am. Uh, <laughs> Not really. There's not one thing in there about that. It's actually, he's, she, she keeps saying, is this guy for real? Is he crazy? One of the first gifts I gave her as I was trying to win her heart was I Kissed Dating Goodbye, uh, the book that I got on sale at Lifeway. I worked at Lifeway at the moment uh, at that time, and um, she was so confused. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was supernatural how God brought us together, and she stayed with me. It really was. Um, the first time I told Ashley I loved her, I told her an accident. Um, I mean, I really did love her, but after reading I Kissed Dating Goodbye, like to tell someone you love them, you had to marry them, and I wasn't sure if I was exactly ready to do that yet. And so I was really thinking through it, and I knew I loved her, and I was like, is this, is this real? Is this, you know, what is this? And um, uh, after church uh, one Sunday, me and a bunch of other college students, we went to uh, Red Lobster, which dates the story, if that's even, uh, is that place still even around? Um, and we went to Red Lobster, and we were all saying our goodbyes in the parking lot as we're about to drive off, and it's just me and Ashley there, and, um, and it just came out of my mouth. It's like, well, see, I love you. And I panicked as I said it. My eyes got real big. I turned and ran to the car before she could even respond and I'm like, my heart's beating. I'm like, Did I, I said it. I said it. I guess we're getting married now. I said it. <laughs> if, you've read the, if you've read the book, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, when we think about uh, our love and the greatest love that we've received or given, it is, it is but a microcosm of the love of God for us. Jesus would even say this often, that you who think you're good parents give good gifts to your kids, but you're evil. How much greater is the love of God towards us? 
And to think about the love of God and to think about it at Christmas time is just, it's just incredibly moving. When you think about the love of God, what do you think about? Do you think about the Hallmark movie love stories or about the love of a parent to a son or a daughter? Do you think about your own love that you've received or given? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the passage we read at weddings all the time about the true nature of love, that it's patient and kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, not self-seeking or easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It protects, it trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. You remember the passage. Then he says in verse 13, and these, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. What an incredible statement. The greatest of these is love. You know, the love of God was talked about way before Paul wrote this and even before Jesus talked about the love of God. But when we talk about the love of God as it's been portrayed for thousands of years, it's, it's like the, the same way that most of us talk about outer space, that we've heard stories about it, we've seen some grainy footage of it, but we've never experienced it firsthand. We're introduced to this idea of supernatural creator God loving his creation through the Old Testament story. As a matter of fact, it's mentioned over 250 times in the scriptures with a very complicated Hebrew word, the word hesed. And and I wish that word was even a more beautiful word in English. It's really not. It sounds like you just sneezed or something, uh, hesed. Um, but, But it's such a beautiful Hebrew word. It's so difficult for translators to uh, translate it from Hebrew into Greek or from Hebrew into English. So they they use a dozen or more uh, phrases to translate it. Most of the time it's uh, mercy or love or you read it through the Psalms, it's loving kindness or steadfast love or unfailing love. The first place that we see it come on the scene is in Exodus 33, a passage that we uh, preached through many, many months ago. As God's people were, uh, were encamped around uh, the mountain and God's anger has already come. You remember the whole, uh, they built a calf and uh, the anger of the Lord fell on them. And uh, Moses was coming down the mountain and he broke the tablets. Well, Moses is going back up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments again. And he's conversating with the Lord And the Lord says this of himself in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, this is that word, steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love, there it is again, has said, for a thousand generations. Mentions it twice. We're introduced to it and it mentions twice in one verse. And once Moses hears this of God, he's bold enough then to make this request. And he said in verse 9, I don't think I have this up there. He said, if I now have found favor in your sight, O Lord, with this steadfast loving kindness thing, I pray, Lord, go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our sin and take us for your inheritance. 
Moses responds by asking for something that he admits they do not deserve, a request based on the new revelation of God's love, this steadfast, unfailing love for them. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing in return gives me everything. That's Hesed. We've talked about this in here before, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a curriculum that our kids are learning even back there. It, it defines it, and this is probably the best definition I've ever read, as a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever kind of love. Now that's a love story. And you read through the Old Testament and you see his people fail and rebel and turn their back on him again and again. And consequences come, but God is always there. And he is always extending a hand of forgiveness and extending his hand of love to them. And that brings us really to the Christmas story that I want to talk about this morning. Mary gets to meet the love of God in a baby, in a person. Because love isn't just something that happens from a distance. This is what Advent means as we're, as we're in the middle. Uh, after the first great Advent, we're going to talk about a longing for the second Advent when Jesus returns. Advent means appearing. That the love of God was just not something that was shouted from the heavens down to us or written on tablets down to us. Jesus came to us. It was a wild year for Mary. If you know the story and you've heard it many times, I'm sure. I think there's a lot we can learn for her. I'm going to jump into the scene here in Luke 1 of her visiting her relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Zechariah that we learned earlier. Elizabeth was also barren. And remember Zechariah saw the angel when he was doing his duty in the temple. And it was this incredible story how she was going to have a child at, a, at an older age. And so Mary comes to visit her. She's carrying John the Baptist. Mary has Jesus in her womb. And they rejoice together. And then Mary breaks out into this worship song, this love song, back to God about the promise of Jesus. The love of God made flesh that's currently in her womb. How surreal is this? And I, Mary's really going to get the answer to three things. And I want us to ask ourselves these, these questions too. Who she is. Who she's, what she's been giving, given and where she's headed. Who am I? What have I been given and where am I headed? This is often called the Magnificat. It probably says that in your Bible. This love song of Mary back to God. Look in verse 46. We see, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary finds her identity in the love of God. And when you experience the love of God on this level, it radically changes who you are. We see this so evident in her song. Her identity is wrapped up in who God is and who she is based upon who God says she is. This relationship she has. She's a daughter of the great God of the universe. This young, poor, probably illiterate teenager has this incredible heart for God. At least 15 different attributes she 
list of God in this little song. That he is the Lord in verse 46 and Savior in verse 47. That he's mighty and personal in verse 49. He's not a distant dictator, but he's personal. And one encounter with him, even as Mary talks about changes her life forever, that he's, verse 48 says that he's omniscient, that he knows everything. We were talking about this, this uh, two weeks ago as a little Advent devotional about the omnis of God is what Hudson called them. We're talking about them and Hud says uh, omniscience and Hud raises his little hands. I know about that. That's, those are the omnis of God. And I was like, what do you mean the omnis of God? You know, he's omnipotent and he's omniscience. And I was like, where'd you learn that, buddy? He's like the, you know, one of his teachers had taught them that just a couple weeks before in their equipping hour, I think. And which I, I welled up, my eyes welled up with tears even as he said it, just to think what my kids are learning, not from me, but from these other adults that sacrifice and study and give up their time weekly to teach my kids the nature and character of God. That's Fast forward in my living room where HUD is just as confident as can be. Oh, those are the omnis of God. And certainly, yes, Mary knows that, and she probably learned it as a little child as well. And yet what she knew as knowledge, now she's becoming to know through experience. Mary finds her identity in God. That's who she is. Is that where you find your identity? As a loved son or daughter of the most high king of the universe? Next, Mary finds her fulfillment in God's love. This is what she's been given, the very love of God bestowed upon her. She didn't have all the details. As a matter of fact, at this point, she probably has more questions than answers. But that didn't stop her obedience and trust. She knows, and we should too, that there's nothing more sure than God and his promise. Mary's faced with this incredible challenge. She has to make this decision, not unlike the decisions that we make sometimes, although hers is exponentially greater, but we've got to make the decision to where we worship. Again, this is not a wealthy princess. She's a peasant girl, incredibly poor, from this little town. May have only had 100 people in the town. No way to hide her pregnancy. Too small for any type of school. And she finds out she's pregnant, and she finds out she's pregnant with God. And then she's got to tell Joseph, and certainly she's got to tell her parents. And then what about the community? And then, and then, you know, just imagine the backlash of this. Most of us would have begun to worry immediately. What if Joseph isn't there when she returns? What if I can't afford to take care of my baby? What if I'm a terrible mom to God? What if my parents disown me? What if my friends never talk to me? Just the list. Can you imagine the list? And sometimes I think we gloss over this in Christmas time. We like try to sanitize the Christmas story and fill it full of songs about the cold weather. The Christmas story, and this is why I love it, because the Christmas story is a mess. And it's a mess oftentimes like my life is. And God chooses to work supernaturally through ordinary people that were stuck in a corner, and they couldn't have come out unless God moved. And I can identify with that, because sometimes that's exactly how I need God to move in my life. Look at the mess. It's a teenager carrying Jesus. And even if that wasn't bad enough, 
Now they got to travel to Bethlehem a day before her due date to go pay taxes in the city that Joseph's from. Couldn't you imagine the questions? I remember with one of our pregnancies, we, we were going to fly somewhere, right, three months before the date. And it was a big deal. We had to get an appointment with the doctor and make sure the doctor was okay with us getting on an airplane and flying three or four months before, you know, the baby was due. And it was a big thing. And we had talked about it and all the things. And now she's probably on some kind of donkey riding across the wilderness just ready to have a baby. And it's such a mess. And then they get there, and there's no room for them. And she's like, Joseph, you know, I told you to Priceline this thing, man. you got to book us something. And then there's no room, and they're born in an animal barn. And this is just, the story just gets crazier. And then they're visited by the shepherds and the angels. And, and then the angel shows up to, I mean, this is a rough couple days. And then Joseph's asleep one night, and the angel shows up and says, listen, there's this crazy man, Herod, he's about to kill all the babies. You now have to leave this city that... You know, and you got to actually travel as an immigrant into Egypt and live in a refugee community until it's time. And it ends with this lunatic Herod killing all the baby boys. That's a crazy story. Put that in a snow globe and put this as Christmas in the, you know, behind it. And we're not even talking about where Revelation talks about the dragons and the war and the, I mean, that's a snow globe, man. (laughs) This is Christmas. (laughs) This is the road Mary's going to walk. And she doesn't know all the details. It's actually going to be much harder than she even could imagine. And it's going to be much more beautiful than she could even fathom. Most of us feel incompetent or nervous before we have a child, especially a first child. Imagine you being this teenager and no hospital and no birth plan and you're carrying God. And she had every right to worry. But instead she worships because she had a top-down view of life. You ever had one of those weeks or months where every news you got was bad news? It was just so difficult. It was the hot water, then the washing machine, then the whatever it is, and it just keeps piling up. Sounds like the record that Mary's hearing over and over, and yet her heart, even seen here in the Magnificat and every other time that she appears, is just this beautiful sense of surrender because she finds her fulfillment in the love of God and not in the circumstances around her. She understood that God was in control. He said that this would happen, and I trust him. In verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken of the Lord. Mary finds her identity in God and the love of God, her fulfillment through the love of God. I think this is just such a great reminder to all of us That God rarely tells us how everything's going to play out. He just tells us what the next step is. And he asks us to trust him. We're not really talking about Joseph, but I just noticed this this week as I was reading through some of this in our Advent reading reading plans. That Joseph never says a word. You know how we hear Joseph? Through his obedience to what God said. 
The angel appears and says she's pregnant and you should, you should not divorce her and marry her. And Joseph does it. And the angel appears and says, hey, you need to go to Egypt. And quietly and faithfully, nothing spectacular necessarily out of Joseph's life except for his just ongoing obedience to the next step that God puts in front of him. I love that. In this moment that could have been dominated by fear, she seems relaxed and worshipful. Only God can do such things in our hearts. You know, we try to find fulfillment in so many things. But in the end, all of those things leave us wanting. Both time and scripture will teach us. We look for fulfillment in our jobs. Or in our spouse, or in our accomplishment, or success, or power. But none of it lasts, at least not for long. Mary finds her fulfillment through the love of God. She lists a few of these things, and I, I want to read them. Just a few things. This is Mary teaching us about the love of God. In verse 48, For he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. We learn that God's love is a gift. She reminds us that we didn't deserve the love of God. She didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Yet God came near anyway. And that's what true love really is. True love is a gift. It's something you can't earn. It's not you love me and I love you. That's not love. That's accounting. That's I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. That's not love. Giving God giving us himself when we didn't deserve it one bit, that is the picture of love. As a matter of fact, it's even worse than that. Scripture tells us that we were enemies of God when he poured out the full demonstration of his love for us. In Romans 5.8, but God de demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is a gift. Not something you can earn. God's love is personal. Skip down the end of 48. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Look at the personal extension of God's love. God doesn't just love us generally. He loves us specifically. He knows the number of hairs on our head and our thoughts before we think them, all the wrong and disgusting things that we've ever done, ever done. And he still invites us in. And he loves us in a, such a personal way. It's just incredible, the, the personal love of God for us. Holy is his name. His mercy, in verse 50, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Another thing about the love of God, we find that God's love is enduring. There's such great joy that comes when you put your trust in something that cannot fail, something that will endure. Mary's life is no longer about her own dreams. It's about God seizing her life and using it for his grand purposes far greater than you think she could ever believe. For he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Look at the power of God's love. Look at the protection of God's love. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Look at the provision of God's love that he has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped Israel, he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to 
Abraham and his descendants. This is, again, the promises of God's love forever and ever. Mary discovers who she is, that she's a, her identity is wrapped up in the love of God, that she's a daughter of the God of the universe. What she's been given, that God's love's been bestowed upon her. And then finally, where she's headed, look at this. Mary finds ultimately her hope in God's love. The destination changed that day. As Mary encountered the love of God in such a very real way, Mary's life had literally been interrupted by God. God had looked over all of Bethlehem and Judea and chosen her. Part of Mary's song we see is prophetic about what God has done and what he's doing and what he's going to do, that he's helped his people, that he's remembered his promises and his mercy, and ultimately that he is sending Jesus to reconcile people back to God. And we needed rescuing. Scripture says we were like sheep without a shepherd, wandering aimlessly, just acting or reacting to our circumstances. But Jesus was coming that we would know real life and real purpose and real fulfillment and real identity. That we would have a hope-filled life. This is why Mary's heart is full. The Holy Spirit is revealing God's plan of salvation through Jesus, even from the earliest of announcements. The love of God in a person, and he's finally here. And it's playing out right in front of her eyes. The rest of her life would be radically swept up in this great plan of salvation and restoration. Some really, really hard things. Some incredibly beautiful things. What does this, what does this mean for us? In one of the Advent devotionals I was reading this week, I read this statement. From a manger in Bethlehem, God leaned over the whole world and said, it's your move. It's your move. I just love that. What are you going to do with the love of God? It's amazing. You know, you ask yourself, what are you going to do with the love of your spouse? Are you going to, in my case, are you going to protect her? And are you going to cherish her and nourish her as a gift from God, part of his grace to me? What am I going to do with the love of my wife, Ashley? What, what am I going to do with the love of my kids? God has given me phenomenal kids. And they still think their dad's pretty cool sometimes. But this is a different level. What are, what are we going to do with the love of God that's, that's, that's been given to us, that's been poured out on us? Just three quick things that I would encourage you to do to respond to the love of God. One, to get swept up in his love. To find your identity in his great love for you. You know, every morning I get up and I get my coffee and I go sit on the couch. And sometimes I wake up in the funk or a really bad mood. And if I'm not careful, I immediately open the, the email and 
my brain will go into get it done mode. You know that thing, I got to get this done and this done and this done. But I try to protect myself and my soul just for about 15 minutes in the morning. And I sit on that couch and I open my hands like this. I do this every morning, I open my hands. I say, God, I'm here and I'm listening. Speak to me. And then I open his word. And sometimes, man, the truth of God just jumps out and just, I mean, bear hugs me. And you know, most times I hear from God, you know what he tells me? He doesn't, he rarely tells me anything to do. I'm a classic three on the Enneagram. I'm the achiever. I just love to get it done and I operate by to-do list and I have to do this for everything. And God just reminds me of his love for me. And friends, I think if you'd listen, he'd remind you this morning. That he would just say it over you. Just as, just as God the Father spoke over Jesus at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I love. It's okay to just get swept up in the love of God. The psalmist did. What did the psalmist say? Lord, Lord, where can, where can I go from your presence? You're just everywhere. If I go into the heights of heaven, you're there. And I go to the depths of Sheol, you're there. The Apostle Paul, again, gets swept up in the love of God. How great is the love of God? It's taller and wider and deeper. We used to sing that little song as kids, deep and wide. You remember that, deep and wide? Just to remind us of the love of God. Because if you're not careful, the culture will just rip it out of your soul. And it'll make you think that true fulfillment and true identity comes through achieving and accomplishing and getting things and gathering stuff and the perfect circumstances. And those just don't exist. When's the last time you just got swept up in the love of God? Two, to let the love of God fill you to overflowing. That's what the love of God would naturally do. That it would fill you so full that it would spill on everyone that bumps into you. This is why God keeps extending the boundaries of God's love. You, you see this mostly in the Gospel of Luke as you walk through it. It's such a beautiful picture. As the Jews just thought that God's love was for Israel and you had to be part of Israel's. To really receive the love of God. And Jesus kept saying, no, it's, it's for more than that. So he makes the heroes of every story. The, the Samaritan, the Gentile. Even in the Old Testament, Nineveh. Think about the story of Jonah. How crazy is this story? That God intentionally picks the one prophet that hates Nineveh so much. And says, I want you to carry my love to them. And he refuses and he fights against God. That's just a incredible story of God just... So carefully, like a surgeon, nurturing his heart and cutting out the bad, diseased hatred and prejudice in Jonah's life. So that Jonah would have the heart of God. And that's what he wants to do in us. He wants to cut out all the bad things, the sin that remains, the wrong way of thinking. So that the love of God would fill us and then spill on everyone that we come in contact with. Have you noticed that everyone's stressed out? I mean, like crazier than I've ever seen it. Mad and angry. 
we went out to eat with some friends last night, and um, it was a great dinner, and put the Christmas music, and I'm just enjoying it. I'm going to someone else's house, and he's cooking dessert for me. And I got flipped off three times on my journey. And I wasn't even, like, pulling out in front of someone, really. I mean, I was going a little slower than they were in the left lane. But people are just, like, at their max. As they've walked through the past two years, I mean, ask the teachers in here about their kids at school and how crazy things are. People need to feel and experience and see the love of God through a person. And that will only happen if you fill yourself up with the love of God and then pour it on to everyone else. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love each other, Jesus would say. And then thirdly, to make this kind of life your new paradigm. Who you are, a son or daughter of the great king of the universe, what you've been given, the very love of God. And where you've been sent into the dark and broken places of this world to do this very thing. You may have missed this one little phrase in this story look look with it and, and it's at the end of verse 48 for he has been mindful of for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed I love that that from now on that Mary knew her life would never be the same and to be honest neither will yours to encounter the love of God and the person of Jesus becomes a from now on kind of change in us, a new paradigm shift. Think about the ways that your life has changed in the past. Maybe you met someone you loved or you graduated from college or high school or you succeeded in this thing or, and your life was changed. My life will never be the same after this. And this, in the most positive way, this from now on moment that comes from God as he interrupts our plans, if we'll allow him, and he steps into our life and gives us something greater than we could ever ask, think, or even hope for. To encounter the love of God in the person of Jesus. It's what changes us forever. There's a lie the enemy whispers to us that you'll never measure up, that you don't have what it takes, you'll never be beautiful enough or good enough or... You're just never going to measure up. It's a lie from the pit of hell, absolutely. That if others really knew us and all the scars and baggage and issues that we bring with us, then we would never be loved. And because many of us have believed that lie, even from birth, we hide and blame and cover up. It's what we do. We're so good at it. We hide and blame and cover up. Just as our original parents in the garden sinned and began to cover up their nakedness so that no one could see them they begin to hide and then then you see them blaming and covering up and because many of us have believed that lie we've been doing the same hiding and blaming and covering up and we feel even today with our Christmas best on and the sounds of Bing Crosby playing in the every all around we we still we still walk in this Man, if anyone really knew me, they knew, if, they knew the, if they knew the real me, they would never love me. 
And if we're careful, that's, that even translates even into our walk with God, that if God really knew me, if he knew the real me and the real questions and the real doubts, friends, can I just, can I just remind you that God knows you? That there's nothing hidden from God? Again, he knows the number of hairs on your head. You don't even know that. I mean, I probably couldn't even guess within a thousand, right? The number of hairs on your head, the thoughts before you think them. God knows you and still he loves you. He invites you to come home, to come back, to accept his love. And my my prayer for all of us today is this Christmas season, we have our own from now on moment. Some of you have been Christians a long time. But maybe you haven't felt the love of God just poured out on you in such a long time. Maybe you've been walking through the desert and your soul is dry and thirsty. And you're from now on moment this Christmas season is just to feel the love of God poured on you. I pray you experience it. Some of you don't even believe in all this. You're kicking the tires on this thing. You're kind of checking out. But you still feel like you're on the outside looking in. I kind of hear what he's talking about, but I've, I've never experienced anything like that. I pray today would be the day that you take a step across this line of faith. Not that all your questions are going to be answered or ever answered this side of heaven, I don't think, but that's where faith comes in. I really believe your step today would be to step across this line of faith and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I promise you a radically changed Christmas. Others of us are just hiding in the blame and shame cycle. And it's time that you step into the light and let someone know. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have communion in a minute. This is such a beautiful picture of God's love. Every time you take communion, just rem- it's your adoption story lived out in front of you. You take the bread, and you re- remember his body broken for you. And the blood, his very blood shed for you so that you could be adopted into his family. God, I thank you for today. Lord, in the stillness of this moment, would you do real work in our hearts? Lord, let us not pass this moment up. I really believe that this moment that you've appointed for many of us in this room, for this to be a from now on moment in our lives. Lord, help us not waste it or be distracted by things on our phone or what we're doing for lunch. Just, just, just for a moment that, that we're going to encounter God of creation. God, would you speak to us? Friends, this might be a little silly, but... I'd invite you just to open your palm towards heaven, just right where you're sitting, and pray that little prayer. I pray every morning, God, I'm here, and I'm listening. Would you just do that? Just right where you're seated, just open your hands towards heaven and say, God, I'm here, and I'm listening. Spirit, would you move in our hearts? Magnify the truth that we need to hear. 
bring conviction of sin. I, I pray, though, that your love would sweep over us in a way that we've maybe never experienced it before. That we would just be reminded that the love of God is not dependent on all the things we did wrong or the things we did right. But that Jesus made a way. He reconciled us. He dealt with our sin and reconciled us back to our Father. Lord, I pray we hear your voice today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Communion's open when you're ready. Me and some of the prayer team will be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion, but we do ask that you be part of God's family, that you've given your heart and life to him. Take as much time as you need. Him, uh, Phil and Emily are going to lead us in a song in just a minute. Don't move past this moment. Do what God is leading you to do.